We have been spending multiple weeks talking about this invisible war that all of us navigate. And uh, we got this chair from a church, and it was actually a deacon's chair, which is pretty intimidating to think about. Uh, Keith and Corey really like it because it's ergonomically correct for you guys. Is that right? They like it for some reason. Um, But it, it fits so well with this series that we've been walking through because the idea of, of who's on your throne, this invisible war, we can give the appearance that Jesus is the centerpiece of our life until something gets disrupted, until something is taken from us, or, until, or something is threatened by, um, by who's there. And so we've looked over the last several weeks at a lot of passages, and we've looked at a lot of things. And this series, for a lot of you, I've heard from a lot of you that that what you've wrestled through, that privately, that you thought God was on the throne of your life, but man, this or that was there instead. And let me, let me remind you of something. We're finishing this series up, but it doesn't mean that those issues don't continue. Am I right? They still do. There's still going to be a throne issue. There's still going to be, do you remember what Christ has done for you? There's still going to be, okay, God, you, you're the Lord of my life. Uh, today you are, but tomorrow maybe it's me. And so we're going to walk through that. So what, is this, what has this been about? What has this, vis, this invisible war been about for the last six weeks? One thing, lordship. Who, who's, the, who's the Lord of my life? Is it me? Is it a circumstance? Is it Christ? This invisible war has been about lordship, that who sits at the throne of my life? Is it me? Is it something else? And way back the first couple of weeks that we were together, um, each of you had uh, a piece of paper like this sitting on all the chairs, and it said the invisible war. And on on the other side of it, it said what is your throne war? What is that thing you're really struggling through? And so if you're going to bear with me for just a second, because for some of you, you need to hear what's real life for people. What, what throne issues people have been dealing with. I gave you a smattering several weeks ago. So let me give you some. Daily life, worry and fear, not giving my all. Living within my means. Always wanting to be right. Win a discussion and an argument. Myself. Self-protection. Money. Um, Dealing with stress and trusting people. Spending more time in the Bible. Spouse substance abuse. I want to sit on my throne. That's being truthful. Friends. Was this one's struggle. My thoughts are not good. I want control. Self-control and food. Alcohol. Worry. Money. Gossip. I struggle with surrendering. I want my own choices. I want to know. I want to, I want, I want say on how I do everything with my life. Balance with my time. Need for, a need for recognition. Control of money, my business, and my patience. Passivity and a lack of intention. Success. Worry and fear. Health. Lack of patience with everybody. Worry. Um, sharing with others. Worry. Drinking. Trust. Respecting or ex- expecting perfection. Work and worry. Health. Um, work. Chronic worry. Money. 
money, worry, what people think of me, marriage and finance, finance, worry, uh, worry about, I'm a chronic worrier uh, about my job, about my family, about everything. Uh, I don't study your word enough. Pride, money, sex, worry and fear, caring too much what others think about me, control over everything, money and fear, fear and worry, uh, fear of the unknown, what does the future hold, bad habits, faithfulness, fear, my, me and my family, self-sufficiency and pride. Um, I try to do everything all the time. Accomplishments, food and money, pride, control, letting him have control, pride, self-control, fighting the end times, to see others through your eyes, to be more tolerant of others, controlling, serving, smoking, my way, pride, envy, being self-centered, uh, food, anger, being right all the time, and what people think of me, and being loved and needed. So the reason I read all those to you, because probably I read yours, and I wanted you to see that what other people are dealing with is real stuff. That what's happening in people's lives is real. And that if you don't remember what Christ has done for you, these things will hijack your life. Am I right? Some of you in this room, these things have been there. They've been on the throne of your life far too long. Did you notice a theme about worry and money? Probably half of them were worry and money. And that's because the throne is, I'm going to worry because you won't worry enough for me, God. And God, I'm going to control my money because you really don't understand. And we're going to, it's funny because next, we start a new series next week about be rich. And it's not prosperity gospel. It's about what are you going to do with what God's entrusted to you? It's a throne issue. It's a throne issue. And so I wanted you to see that what people are dealing with is real. And that will you remember that if Jesus is on the throne of your life, you will find some peace. You'll find some hope. You'll find some rescuing. But it, it, it requires some intentionality that I, I've got to let him be there. I gotta let him be there. Paul Tripp said this. He said, our weakness are not the biggest danger you should fear. What you should really fear are your delusions of strength. And see, when you think that you can handle this nice little pile, see, I think the reality is, is that we, we set that, those, those there, and we think, I'll figure this out. I'll get it right. I'll, 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 I'll do something to make it better, instead of surrendering it to God, because we think we can do all these things in our strength. Have you ever tried to do something and you thought, man, I could have used some help on that one? Yes? Own it. There's nothing worse than doing something that you're like, I could have used some help on this. I'm kind of stuck, you know? And I think for all of us that what, what this throne issue is about is that we, we think we can do it. We think we can do everything. I, I got... You know what we say? I got myself into this. I'll get myself out. And let me just tell you, the deeper you go in that hole with one of those things, without Christ's help, the worse it gets. The worse it gets. And so if you've got your Bibles, we'll be in Luke chapter 22. I want to back up to 
chapter of verse 23 because it's an important verse as it, as it goes into where we're headed. We're basically camping in Luke because this idea of remember and what's going on. Luke chapter 22, I'm going to go back to verse 23, or actually back to verse 22. He says, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them who was going to do this? And I've said this to you before, the betrayal was so, I mean, this is a great example that you can hide. You can say, I'm a follower of Christ, and Jesus knows the heart. And he he says, woe to you that betrays me. It's going to cost you. And I was thinking through this. And one of the struggles that Judas had, one of the things that he wanted, one of the things that if you were to ask him today, what what was your driving issue? Why were you willing to do what you did to Jesus? Why were you going to do that? Why were you, why would you do what you did? And it's simply for this. He wanted power. He wanted, he wanted the power over, he wanted the power over people. He wanted power over Rome. He wanted, he wanted to be recognized. He wanted to be in a place of authority. He wanted the power. And so I'm going to help, I'm going to help Jesus. If Jesus won't, if he won't take an earthly kingdom the way I think he should, I'm going to try to help him. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll kind of, if I kind of nudge him, he will. But Judas was wanting power. His throne was power. He wanted Rome out. He wanted to be in a place of authority. He wanted to be in a place of positions, of, of, of recognition. And so you see that, that he wanted power. We're going to look at a couple of other words here in just a second. So now let's keep walking along through. It says, For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man whom is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them would do this. Because... It wasn't obvious. Judas had done a marvelous job of giving the appearance that Jesus was on the throne of his life. He gave a, he was masterful at it. And it says they were just, they were arguing about it. Let me go back up. He says, um, let me back up to that. He says, who, who was going to do this? And he says, well, who's going to do this? And then look what happens. Is, and a dispute also rose among them as to which of them would be, would be regarded as the greatest. Think about that conversation for just a second. They're having a discussion, and Jesus says, Woe to you, for one of you is going to betray me. Well, who would do that? Ah, it's terrible. You know, I would never do that. You know, when Jesus is gone, I'm going to show you guys how to do ministry right. It says a dispute rose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Can you imagine that Jesus has just a second ago said, one of you is going to betray me, and they're going, oh, how could that be? And, and within that conversation, it sways this way to, well, God, Jesus, I'm super spiritual. I would never do that to you. Oh, Jesus, I, when you're done, we're going to do ministry right. Now, I, I'm going to show, Jesus, we're going to take what you started, and we're going to, poo, we're going to go. So the disciples were looking at this, and they were thinking, oh, we've, we've got this. We know what we're doing. We know where we're headed. We know how. And so the argument, and oh, can you imagine, can you imagine, how many of you have ever gotten that eye roll from your parents? Today. <laughs> really? No. 
it's funny because he says that this argument, and he's like, you, I told you one of you is going to betray me, and then now you're telling me you're arguing about who's the greatest. If you're taking notes, there's, you've got a note page. I want to give you a couple things. You don't have to write any of these down, but if you find them helpful, by all means. Ambition, power, and recognition are often thrown war issues. Ambition, power, and recognition. They were talking about who was going to be the greatest, who was going to be on the throne, who was going to, you see it, ambition, power, and recognition. Judas, all of them, they wanted Jesus to set up an earthly kingdom. They wanted him to overthrow. They wanted him to set this whole thing up, get rid of everything and do this whole thing. And he was like, no, I'm not doing it that way. I'm not doing it that way. Here's the other thing that I know. Pride blinds. Because none of you in here would, would like to say, well, I don't have a throne issue. Well, let me just help you out here that these cards tell me that some of you have a real throne issue. You do. I do. You know what my throne issue is? Fairness. I want everything to be fair as long as it goes towards me. Fairness. I want it to be fair. And I, I'm, that sometimes my throne issue is I want it to be fair. And that's not always fair, is it? Life is not fair. And so when you think about this and you think about that they were, they were arguing about who the greatest was and Jesus is going, oh, guys, really? Really? Is this where you're going to go? Can you imagine that, that conversation that went from who could do this to I would never do this because I am a complete follower of your Jesus. I'm going to... We found out very quickly with the disciples that Christ was not the preeminent throne. They were, they were worried about what people thought. They were worried about their own self-preservation. Because as soon as Christ is, is arrested, somebody help me out. What happened to the disciples? They ran, scattered, disappear. So let's, 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 let's think about what was their throne issue. They were concerned about what people think of them because of who they associated with. Am I right? They were self-preservation. Well, if this is going to happen to Jesus, could it happen to us? Yes. And so you see that they had their own throne issues going on in their life. So pride is blinding because we don't really see ourselves the way that we should. We don't. We, we tend to see ourselves better because here's why. Because we typically compare ourselves to somebody else. And if we look at somebody else and we think, well, I'm doing pretty good. We've had this conversation quite a bit to, since we've been together. Is that if you'll look at the biblical standards of Christ, you'll know that you're in trouble. Let me just help you there. They were arguing, and I, I, I caught this out of a commentary. And I thought, man, how true is this? They were arguing about Jesus' replacement before he was gone. They were talking about how great they were going to be for him and they were going to take his ministry and send it on to the next level. And he's like, guys, I'm still here. Still here. And Jesus is about to teach them a valuable lesson. And one of my, my favorite authors, uh, probably one of the best, if you ever want to read a book on understanding God's will for your life, uh, just go read Henry Blackaby's book on that. Fantastic book, by the way. Henry Blackaby said this, though. He said, The world will estimate your importance by the number of people serving you. God is more concerned about the number of people you are serving. 
And with that in mind, he's about to tell his disciples something very important. And it starts in verse 25. He said, he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as youngest, and the leaders as one who serves. What? Serves? Jesus, I, I, want, I want recognition. I want power. I, I, want, I, want to be on the, I want to be on the throne. See, what the disciples wanted was a 12-seater throne. They wanted a 12-seater. Jesus, you can be there, but we want to be there too. We want to have say. We want, we want all the accolades. He says, verse 27, says, For who is greater, one who reclines at this table or one who serves? It is not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. He's telling his disciples, the one who serves is going to be the one who remembers what's been done. See, one of the reasons we take the Lord's Supper today is to remember that if, if Christ is on the throne of his life, we will serve. We will do stuff for people. We won't be thinking, look what, look, what, look what I've accomplished. We'll be saying, how can I serve? He was trying to prepare his disciples that what Jesus had modeled was a life of service. And he was going to do the ultimate service for us. He says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at the table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And he was, he was really helping his guys try to get this point. He says, Jesus wants us to think rightly about who, who's on the throne of our lives. And when he is in his rightful place, service, and this is a, this is a word you don't hear a lot, solidarity will permeate our lives, that we're in it together. See, when we're serving, solidarity comes together. We're doing it together. And he was trying to get his disciples to realize that when I'm gone, you need to stick together and you need to serve together. And we see how this played out in the book of Acts because, boy, it just, boom. They started serving together. The early church got started. But this idea of solidarity, you know, churches crumble rarely over theological or moral issues. Typically, they've, they've, they've crumbled over solidarity issues. They're not together. They're, they don't want to work together. They don't want to play together. And they, they typically crumble under that. And he's telling tell them, look, guys, we need to stay together. Stay together. Fight for that. I, I tell people in, in PBC 101 that, that unity is a crucial part of the church. Not everybody agrees. I get that. There's no way that would happen in a group this size. But he says, but unity, and he's telling his disciples, unity is so important amongst yourselves. Stay together. And then the other thing he was trying to to help them understand was this. It says, Jesus' ultimate act of service was his death on the cross for you and me. Okay? And so I want to read a passage to you out of Philippians that drives that point home. This is uh, Philippians. I've said to you before, we did Philippians earlier this year. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. But in Philippians chapter 2, eight verses say this. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy 
by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full and accord with one mind. Going back to solidarity and serving. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. When you serve others and when you're together, you think others are more valuable than you. And that's what he was trying to teach his disciples. Let each of you look not only at your own interest, but also in the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who through the who, let me back up, who through his was formed of God, did not count equality with God as anything to be grasped, but, I love this, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of, point of death, even death on the cross. See, what Paul, what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples is that this is not to be what you seek. That if you want me to be on the throne of your life, don't look, to, don't look for power, look to serve. Look to care. Look to put others, think of others more than yourself. Look to think of what, what, what can I do for somebody else? How can I give care to somebody? How can I walk alongside somebody? Throne issues that we all face... Are gonna, you're going to, God, I don't want to serve. I've done my time. Man, God, that's messy. That takes time. I'm, let me just tell you. I know. Jesus called us to serve. He didn't give you an expiration date. He said, serve. He said, help people. I mean, just go read Philippians. Put others above yourself. And so he says all this, and he talks about being servants, and then, then he turns to Peter. And he goes back to his old name. And let me just tell you, whenever your name is done twice in the Bible, it's not good. Rarely. How many of you know the routine? If your parents call you by your first name, there's a little, like your antenna kind of goes up. If you get the middle name, the antenna, you're like, oh. Right? And then what happens if you get the full name? Dead meat. Am I right? If you get the full name, something is probably going to happen. And so he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Man, this is hard. Can you imagine that Peter is standing in there talking about how great he's going to be? And, and probably because he's kind of full of pride, I'm going to be better than anybody else. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, there's no way that's going to happen, God. That is no way. There, uh, there's no way that I'm going to deny you. There's no way. I, I'm one of the best. I'm one of the inner three. Can you see what was playing in his life? Oh, pride. On his throne in that moment was pride. And look at what Jesus says. This is profound, by the way. This is, this is some sovereignty stuff. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus is praying for Peter. And then look at what he says. This is, man, this is, this is hard. He says, and when you have turned back, because he's already telling him he's going to fail. He's already telling him he's going to fail. He's already saying, after you have done what you're going to do, and Peter should have heard this. He should have said, Ooh, 
He should have. Have you ever been with somebody when you, in your mind you're going, you should just stop talking? Has that ever been you? You should just stop talking. I remember uh, a long time ago, we were, um, we, I was working in student ministry, and a couple was having their first kid. And they were talking, she was pregnant, and they were talking, and they were talking about names. And in my ignorance and stupidity, I decided to just throw out a random name, thinking, are you going to name your, your boy this, because that kind of kid eats paste and blah, blah, blah. And then the mother looks at me and goes, actually, that was the name we selected. I still remember that. Oh, man. And every time I see their faces on Facebook and I see their son now who's a teenager, I think, I should have stopped talking. I should have stopped. <laughs> I should have stopped while I was ahead because uh, they looked at me and there was that awkward moment because we were at a party and there was everybody going, ooh, that was bad. <laughs> it was bad. It was, oh, that was not a good day. And so Peter, here's Jesus Tell him that once you've returned, encourage my guys. Oh, but Peter, pride, pride. Because he doesn't think this will happen to him. It may happen to everybody else, but it won't happen to him. Because look at what he says. He says, Peter says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now, is that an arrogant statement? Probably a little bit. Because they just have been talking about who the greatest is. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you have denied three times that you know me. Now, here's what I want you to do. Where it says, Peter, put your name in. I tell you, Danny, that roast, the rooster will not crow this day until you have denied me knowing me three times. And it's funny because we... we Christ is on the throne of our lives until the heat gets turned on. Um, when something happens, where something is threatened, uh, since so many of these were about worry and or money, if one of those is, let's just take money for instance, if money gets threatened, then we're like, whoa, God, I don't know you because I'm going to solve this on my own. And so he's telling Peter and you and I, that something else has replaced him on the throne. It wasn't that Jesus, Peter was still a follower of Christ. It's just that something else had taken its place for a season of his life because we know the rest of the story. We know where Peter goes after this. It's amazing. And so when this happens, Judas was power. Peter was pride. I would never do that, Jesus. Heaven forbid. I would never do that. I would not let that happen. It's this. Jesus said, I tell you, you will, you will, Peter, disown me before the day's end. Three times. And you'll be emphatic on the third one. You'll be emphatic. Let me remind you of a couple things real quick. The best way to kill throne pride in your heart is to contemplate the humility of Jesus seen most clearly in his willingness to die for people like you and me. And remember that. Okay? Look at the humility of Christ and what he was willing to do, and that will help you put him yourself here because at the end of the day, what he is calling 
for you and I to get when this is all said and done. What he was talking to his disciples about is like, you need to get this. When I'm on the throne of your life, when I'm on the throne of your life, you'll serve people. And Jesus is modeling that because he's about to go to the cross for him, for them. And so I finish with this thought. This series has been an important series for some of you because it helped you recognize that there's been something else on the throne of your life and it hasn't been Christ. Now, I got one final prop. Those of you that know me, I'm kind of a prop person. Just work with me. Does, uh, does anybody know what this is? It's not a designer vest. What is it? What? It's a bulletproof vest. Okay? Now, a few weeks ago, I read this passage and talked to you out of Ephesians that to put on Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if you're a police officer, I know this is standard wear. But if Christ is on the throne of your life, one of the things he wants you to do is to put him on. Because you know one of the things that he does when you put this on is he's protecting your heart. These are designed to protect the essential organs of your body. Now, if Christ is on the throne of your life, he's telling you to put him on so he can protect your heart so that there aren't as many throne issues. Okay? Now, I can't imagine that a police officer would have this sitting in the seat next to him or her as they're going out doing their job. Does that make any sense at all? Would you do that? You wouldn't, would you? You wouldn't have a protective vest sitting over here going, you know, I know what that does. I don't really think I need that. Nothing bad's going to happen to me today. I've got it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a seasoned veteran. I'm, I'm, I'm mature. I know how to handle every situation that comes my way. And I am reminded that when Christ is on the throne of our lives, He gives us the protection of our heart. It's Him. But are we willing to put Him on? Are we willing to say, God, I need you to protect my heart? Because if, if you don't protect my heart, something else is going to creep into being the, on the throne of my life. The vest only works if you put it on. It only works if you put it on. If you don't put it on, it doesn't work, does it? Doesn't work. And so when you think about this whole series that we've been doing, that you are to remember that he, it, what, you have to put Christ on. You have to have a relationship with him. And to live in that knowledge is important because if you don't, I can give you all the tools. You can agree with me. You can say, yep, that's what the scripture says. But if you don't actually put it on, it's not going to do much. And this pile actually grows. It actually grows. And then we wonder, gosh, why isn't God on the throne of my life? Why? It's because these other things are still there. They're still there. And when I was a youth pastor for a long time, I, I'll never forget, I, I would have a student go, when I can get my life cleaned up, then I'll come back to church. Now help me out here. Does that ever happen? It doesn't. It doesn't. And Satan uses that tool among so many people that, oh, get your life cleaned up and then you can put Christ back on the throne of your life. Let me just help you out. There's always going to be something else. There just is.
And so I ask you, have you put on Christ? Have you, do you actually have a relationship with him? Because if you don't, this sounds good. And let me just tell you, this actually works. I got this from a police officer. This actually works. It's designed to protect your body. But it doesn't work until you put it on. And Christ is wanting to protect us from ourselves. And he's saying, remember what I did for you on the cross? It's enough. And I can help heal you from these things. But it requires a step. It requires saying, I can't, you can. And so for maybe for some of you in this room, you want to talk to one of our pastors about how do I take a step into a relationship with Christ? We want to talk to you. We want to help you. The second thing is, is maybe your throne issue has dominated your life. Maybe this week you have thought more about money and how about, how do I do this? Do I have enough for retirement? Um, God, I know you, I'm supposed to give to you, but you know what, God? When it's better, I'll give you. But until then, nothing. Let me just help you out. You're always going to worry and there's always going to be a throne issue because God, I, I know better than you do. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here. And when you're thinking about everything else and not the things about God, you're not likely to serve him with yourself. Just go back and read Philippians 2, 1 through 8. You get a pretty good framework of what we're called to do. Let's pray. Father, I ask for the next few moments that we would, that you would drive home that we need to remember what's been done that you would drive home that, that you want and desire to be on the throne of our lives. And for that to happen, there means, there's got to be an acknowledgement. There's got to be, God, I can't, but you can. There's got to be a swallowing of our pride and, and stop this denial thing. There's got to be a thing that says, God, for this to work, you have to be in your rightful place. There are some in this room, God, I am certain they're struggling with anxieties, with worry, they're, they're struggling with, with their relationships. Their throne of their life has been hijacked by the outside world. And God, you have, what you did on the cross was to heal them, to heal us from that. And I pray over the next few moments, there may be some in this room that they don't know you as Lord and Savior. They don't know the protection. They don't know what you did fully for them on the cross. And I pray that they would have courage to come and talk to one of our pastors. There may be some in this room that they just simply need to do business with you. They need to have the courage to, to say, God, I have allowed this to be on the throne of my life for far too long. And today I surrender it to you. And I give it to you because I can't and you can. Father, for the next few moments, I pray that we will have the courage to respond to the things you've called us to. That we'll remember that we can have freedom in you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I'll ask you to stand.